Hello, and welcome to The Talking Buddha, your story podcast. Please let us know what you think and tell other people about us on social media. Also, subscribe to our podcast to get an update on the latest stories. You can follow us on Instagram. Our Insta handle is The Talking Buddha. You can also share your feedback, or if you have an interesting story to tell, we will be glad to hear it and feature it on our podcast. For more information, log into www.thetalkingbuddha.com. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Talking Buddha, your story podcast. My name is Anmol, and I'm your host. How many times have we said, This is mine, that's why I care for it? Be it our relationships, our careers, or possessions. We all have that one point or another said that so and so is my responsibility or my duty. We all are consumed by things we own my home, my car, my work, my image, and my perception. These things run in our mind constantly. So today we contemplate one important question Do the things we own end up owing us instead? Let's talk about a king who learned this lesson the hard way. His name was Ashoka and he lived over 3000 years ago in India. And this story is also about a Buddhist monk who lived like a king. India is a land of great spirituality, a land which has seen much spiritual upheaval where mighty kings and emperors suddenly attained an enlightened state, gave up all the wealth, position and power they possessed, and followed the hallowed path to true freedom and liberation. Such is the story of Emperor Ashoka Maurya, popularly referred to as Ashoka the Great. In this story, we bring you the tale of that great ruler. Ashoka Maurya ruled almost the entire Indian subcontinent, from 268 to 232 BCE. Rapidly rising to fame, he went on to become one of the India's greatest ever emperors. Ashoka was believed to be an ill-tempered and haughty man by nature. He created Ashoka's hell, an elaborate torture chamber, built specially to persecute and kill the prisoners kept there. This behavior earned him the name of Chandashoka, of the fierce Ashoka. Over the next few years, Ashoka waged many a war against territories, major and minor. By the end of that period, his reign stretched from Assam in the east to Baluchistan in the west, from Pami north of Afghanistan in the north to the peninsula in South India, all the way to the kingdom of Kalinga in Orissa. Kalinga was a beautiful and prosperous region, consisting of peaceful, artistic and skilled people, The land was rich and abundant with natural resources, and business too flourished in this area. In 261 BC, Kalinga declared themselves as a free state and they denied access to their ports for Ashoka's army. Kalinga was an important kingdom because it controlled the trade routes with Southeast Asia. The Mauryas considered the lack of this territory as a loss of political prestige and hence were determined to reclaim the land. In fact, this was one of the main reasons why Ashoka waged the battle against Kalinga. Kalinga, being a strong territory, gave formidable resistance to Ashoka and his army. Ashoka too fought bravely, till very end. 
Finally, the former were outnumbered against Ashoka's army and they had to surrender. The terrible war ended in great bloodshed and claimed too many lives. Over 150,000 Kalinga warriors and 100,000 warriors from Ashoka's side were killed in this savage battle. It is said that in the wake of the war, the Daya River at Bhubaneswar, which was situated just next to the battlefield, turned red with the warriors' blood. Thousands of men, women and children were deported after that. Several children had been orphaned and many people had lost their near and dear ones. The once beautiful land had been completely devastated. Seeing all the destruction caused by the Kalinga war and feeling extreme remorse that he had been the main cause for it, Ashoka wanted to get away from it. Legend has it that the great king roamed the city on foot the day after the battle was over, seeing the number of houses that were burned down and the corpses lying around everywhere. He realized the actual extent of damage he had given rise to. All around him were dead warriors. The widows wept and cursed Ashoka. Horses neighed in torture with broken limbs. The field was covered with blood. Ashoka went down on bended knee. He added his cry to those around him. What have I done? The king rode back a changed man. This war changed Ashoka completely. He gave up war and embarked on a program of peace. He constructed hospitals and rest houses. He banned animal slaughter, protected wildlife and even built hospitals for animals. He sponsored centers for learning and gave equal honor to all religions, though he himself was a Buddhist. He decided to lead a peaceful life from then on and adopted Buddhism as a way of life. The mighty emperor now transformed himself into a peaceful ruler and got completely involved in studying Buddhism and its doctrines. Emperor Ashoka has been many things to many people, a ruler who killed his kin, a conqueror who foreshook conquest out of guilt, a shrewd genius or a righteous monk. With myriad legends and tales covering the historical core, the picture that we have of him is thickly layered. Some have called him Ashoka the Great. Others have pondered over the myth like nature of his biography. While still, others have been fascinated and inspired by his legacy. The battle of Kalinga changed him and he converted to Buddhism. He pledged his life to the doctrines of peace. Not knowing how to shed years of violence and kinship for sainthood, the mighty ruler wanted a guide and mentor who could help him apply the philosophies of Buddha to his life. On his travels, he came across an old monk sitting under the shade of a banyan tree in the forest at the edge of his kingdom. The king was impressed by the simple and pure life of a Buddhist monk. The monk's face glowed with peace and his aura was calm. Ashoka stayed on in his presence and felt a connection to this peaceful energy. Gradually, he accepted the monk as his master. But being a shrewd ruler, he was skeptic and wanted a mentor and guru who was perfect in all ways and didn't have any mortal flaws that could hinder him progress from becoming the perfect Buddhist. As he watched the simple living of the monk in his little hut on the edge of the forest, Ashoka thought to himself, Is there any loophole in this monk's life? Many days passed in silent observation. 
and when he was totally convinced logically, even his detectives informed him that this man has no dark spots in his life. He is absolutely pure, simple. He really is a great saint. He is a Buddha. Convinced that this monk was indeed someone he could be inspired and learn from, Ashoka rushed to the monk, touched his feet and said, Sir, I invite you to come to my palace and live there. To which the monk looked at him and asked him with an amused smile, Why live here? Deep down, although he was inviting the saint, Ashoka was expecting that the saint would refuse and he would say, No, I am a simple man. How can I live in the palace? Even though he was inviting him. Now, see the complexity of human mind. He was inviting him. He was expecting that if the invitation were accepted, he would be greatly joyous. And still there was an undercurrent that the saint, if he were truly a saint, would refuse. That he would say, No, I am a simple man. I will live under the tree. This is my simple life. I have left all the world. I have renounced the world. I cannot come back to it. Ashoka had a preconceived notion about all holy men that they would renounce the world. However, Ashoka was stunned when the monk said, Okay, so where is the vehicle? Bring your chariot and I'll come to the palace. Noting the look of shock registered on Ashoka's face, the monk said, Of course, when one comes to the palace, one has to come in style. Bring the chariot. The king was disappointed and alarmed. He thought of the kind of image he held in his mind for holy man and saints. This man was nothing like that. Ashoka thought to himself, This man seems to be a cheat, a fraud. It seems that he was pretending all this simplicity just to catch hold of me. But now it was too late. He had invited him and he could not go back on his own words. Being a man of his word, a samurai, a warrior, a great king. He said, Okay, now I am caught. This man is not worth anything. He did not even refuse once. He should have refused. He had to bring the chariot. But he was no longer happy. He was not joyous. But the saint was quite happy. He sat in the chariot like a king. And the king sat in the chariot very sad. Looking a little silly. As the royal procession made its way from the forest to the city, the people came out to see their king on the streets. But they were shocked, seeing him riding behind a naked beggar. What is happening? The naked fakir. And he was really sitting like an emperor. And the king was looking downtrodden compared to this man. And he was so joyous, so bouncing with ecstasy. And the more ecstatic he was, the more sad the king became. The ugly skepticism reared its head again in King Ashoka's mind as negative thoughts raised in his head. Now how to get rid of this man? I have become caught in his net on my own. All those detectives and spies are fools. They could not see that this man has a plan. It's as if he was sitting under that tree for years so that King would become impressed. Ashoka felt that he had been taken for a fool due to his faith. This idea kept getting stronger with each step they took into the palace. The monk demanded the finest bath with perfumed rose petals and softest bed in the finest rooms. 
the king had arranged the best room for the saint if he would come but he did not believe that he would ever come when the saint reached the room he didn't really behave as if these comforts were foreign to him in fact he was happy ordering the maids around to bring him the finest delicacies and the best comforts since he had been sitting under the tree for years and he said bring this bring that if you have to live in the palace you have to live like a king the king was getting more and more agitated with the monk's behavior of course he had invited him so whatsoever he asked for was brought but it was heavy on the heart of the king it was becoming heavier every day because the monk started living like a king in fact better than the king because the king had its own worries about the kingdom the army the courtiers but the saint had none he would sleep in the day in the night he would enjoy the garden and the swimming pool and he rest and rest and the day by day the king thought this man is a parasite one day it was unbearable the monk had gone into the garden for a morning walk and ashoka angry and frustrated walked up to him and said i want to say something to you the monk said yes i know you wanted to say it even before i left my tree you wanted to say it when i accepted your invitation why did you wait so long you are unnecessarily suffering i can see you have become sad you don't come to me anymore you don't ask the great metaphysical religious questions that you used to ask me when i used to live under the tree i know but why did you wait 6 months that i can't see you should have asked immediately and things would have been settled then and there i know what you want to ask but go ahead ask the king said i want to ask only one thing now what is the difference between me and you you are living more luxuriously than i am i have to work i have to worry and i have to carry all kinds of responsibilities and you have no work no worry and no responsibility i am feeling jealous of you and i have certainly stopped coming to you because i don't think there is any difference between me and you i live in possessions but you live in more possessions than i am every day you demand bring the golden chariot i want to go for a walk in the country bring this and bring that and you are eating delicious food a few months ago you barely had clothes to cover your body or food to feed yourself and now you're eating the finest foods available and wearing the best clothes possible then what is the difference between me and you the saint laughed and he said the question is such i can answer it only if you come with me let us go for a chariot ride to the forest the king followed they crossed the river and they continued the king asked again and again now what is the point of going on any further why not answer now the monk patiently replied wait a little i am in search of the right spot where to answer then they came to the very boundary of his kingdom and the king said now it is time this is the very boundary the monk said that's what i've been searching for now i'm not going back are you coming with me or are you going back ashoka was bewildered in hesitation he answered how can i come with you i have my kingdom my possessions my wives my children how can i come with you 
And the monk said, Now you see the difference. I am going and I will not look back even once. I was in the palace. I lived with all kind of possessions. But I was not possessive. You are possessive. This is the difference. And now I am going. He undressed from all the fine clothes and climbed down from the chariot. While giving his clothes to the king, he said, Keep your clothes and be happy again. Now the Ashoka realized his folly. He had judged the man too soon. The monk wasn't greedy for comfort or he was fake. In fact, this man was a rare, a rare gem. He fell at his feet and he said, Don't go. Come back. I have not understood you yet. Today, I have seen the difference. Yes, this is the true meaning of sainthood. The monk said, I can come back, but remember, you will become sad again. For me, there is no difference whether I go this side or that side. But you will become sad again. Now let me make you happy. I am not coming. I am going. The more the monk insisted on going, the more Ashoka insisted on his coming back. But the saint said, Once is enough. I have seen you. You are a foolish person. I can come. But the moment I say I can come, I can see in your eyes the old ideas coming back. The old skepticism the lack of faith, the preconceived notions of sainthood. Maybe he is cheating me again. Maybe this is just an empty gesture, giving me the clothes and saying that he is going, so that I become impressed again. If I come, you will be miserable again. And I don't want to make you miserable. Let me leave you with a final teaching. Remember the difference. The difference is not in possessions, the difference is in possessiveness. A simple person is not one who possesses nothing. A simple person is one who has no possessiveness, who never looks back. The greatest step towards a life of simplicity is to learn to let go. You can live a simple life or you can force a simple life upon yourself. It will not be simple and you can live in a palace with all luxuries but if you live in the moment, you will be living a simple life. You can live like a beggar and you will not be simple if your effort to be a beggar is something that you have imposed upon yourself. If it has become your character, then you are not simple. Yes, once in a while it has happened that even a king has lived a simple life. Simple not in the sense that he did not have the palace and the possessions. They were there but he was not possessive. The monk had all the same possessions as the king, but none of the king's possessiveness and attachment. Hence he lived in the moment, completely inhabited it and made it his own, without wondering why he was given this favor or whether he would enjoy it tomorrow. In the words of great Buddha, the past is already gone, the future is not here. There is only one moment for you to live. This stands true for the fact that many of us have anxiety and constantly worry about things we don't own yet, about results that haven't arrived yet. You may not have possessions, yet you may be possessive. Possessiveness can exist without possessions. If that is so, then the opposite is also true. A lack of possessiveness can exist with all kinds of possessions. But we have to remember that one can live in the palace and yet be totally free of it. 
it's so important to be simple but it's also equally difficult to be simple this is what we should strive towards being in the now in the moment without the stress of possessiveness just try to be the monk sometimes in life enjoy it without being attached and that is mainly what the buddha and the gita teaches best summed up in one simple line the root of suffering is attachment so that was the story guys do let me know what you think about the story because every story has two sides and there is no beginning or an end to it we really hope that you have enjoyed listening to this episode please let us know what you think about today's story we would love to hear from you All you have to do is send an email to podcast at thetalkingbuddha.com. Meanwhile, stay tuned for more stories and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Thanks for listening. <laughs>